women in 1988. To attend a free orientation on how you can achieve your dream of starting your own business or for more information, please contact Sophia Campos at 415-641-3465. That's 415-641-3465. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, this is the story of your police force in action. Dragnet. Tuesday, March 25th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant, so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 13 minutes past 11 when I got to room 42. Homicide. That's a hot shot. Somebody grab it. I got it, Ed. At 1245 East Ohaney Street, two officers shot. At 1245 East Ohaney Street, two officers shot. What have you got, Friday? Read it. Two officers shot. Where's Romero? Right here, Skipper. Okay, you've got one to roll on. Get going. Trapdoor Cafe, a joint in the south end of town that did business with a pretty rough crowd. Thirteen minutes later, we pulled up in front. Two patrolmen had the crowd pretty well pushed back. There was a cruiser car in front of the cafe. The car door was open and an officer was sprawled across the seat. He was conscious but weak, and one of his pant legs was pretty red. Hello, Sergeant. Hi, how you doing? I've done better. Yeah, well, what happened? Uh, Williams and I were cruising. We've been keeping an eye on this cafe lately. Tonight, we decided to take a look. And just as we went in, two guys left in a hurry. The back door. We followed them out into the alley. It was dark out there, and I called to them. I said, hey, fellas, just a minute. I want to talk to you. They stopped? I'll see. One of them whirled. He had a gun in his left hand. He shot both of us. Left hand, huh? Williams went down and out. I went down, but I took a shot at them. No effect. And I started crawling out here to the car so I could call in. You started crawling? Yeah. Wait a minute, Emerson. Weren't there any people around by that time? Oh, yeah. Quite a few ran out after the shots. You mean nobody would help you to the car? That's right. Did you get a good look at either of the gunmen? Well, one of them was tall. I think he was a redhead. There was something funny about his nose. That's all I saw. It's too dark out there. Williams was closer. I think he got a good look. Joe, the other officer, Williams, he's in pretty bad shape. Is he breathing? He's still alive, Emerson. I don't know how much time he's got. Ambulance? On the way. Okay, let's round up all the men who are in the cafe. We're taking them in. 
took all the men back to the city hall. There were 23 in the Trapdoor Cafe at the time of the shooting. We questioned all of them. One of them said there had been a redhead in the place, but he couldn't describe him. Ben and I left the interrogation room, and we went back to the squad room. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yeah, Ed. Come on, Ben. Mm. Sit down. Okay. You got anything from those people you questioned? Nothing we could use. Mm. How's Williams? Pretty bad. When do they operate? As soon as he comes out of shock. Probably in the morning. You boys will be there. Yeah, we will. When the surgeon digs that slug out, get it and mark it for evidence. Yeah. Skipper, them two men shot without asking any questions. They must be hot. Yeah. Same thing occurred to me. When we get that slug, the ballistics can tell us whether that gun's been used on other jobs. We got enough of their modus operandi to have the statistician give us a run-through on the IBM now. One of them is left-handed, and he shoots quick. Okay, be in surgery tomorrow morning at 9. Neither Ben or I said much on the way home, but we were both thinking the same thing. I knew the chief was thinking it, too. Here were two men who'd shot a couple of police officers without asking any questions. Now, I suppose you've heard a lot of stories about what the force thinks of cop killers. Sure, we don't like to lose our friends and partners any better than anybody else would. Why not figure it this way? If these two guys would gun a couple of armed police officers, do you think they'd hesitate to shoot you, the unarmed citizen? The next morning at 9 o'clock, Ben and I had scrubbed up and we were in surgery. Williams was on the table. The surgeon started in. A lot of minutes later, he got the slug. As for Williams, they took out seven feet of his intestine and said he might pull through. Joe, here's a report from ballistics. The slug they took out of Williams come from a 44 Smith & Wesson. The same gun was used in a liquor store killing about a month ago. You call the statistician? Yeah, uh-huh. She's running all the cards on previous shooting through the IBM machine. She ought to be through about now. Let's take a look. Okay. Come on. Hi, Helen. Just a second. Okay. Well, that's it for it. These cards will give you all the shootings pulled by two men on foot who shot quick, one of them left-handed. Right. They're all yours. Sure can tell a lot from just a bunch of little holes in these cars, can't you? <laughs> I can't, but this IBM machine can. Never ceases to amaze me. Okay, shall we check the cards out? Huh? Yeah, sure, sure. Mm. Mm. Wait a minute, Ben. Here we are. Huh? Yeah. Here's that liquor store killing ballistics tied the Smith & Wesson in on. Same gun that Emerson Williams was shot with? Well, it checks out. The liquor store was in the same neighborhood as the Trapdoor Cafe. Same gun, huh? Got to be. How long ago? A month ago, yeah. Ben, take the DR number off this card and let's pull the crime report on that job. We pulled the crime report out of the files. It said that there was only one witness to that liquor store killing a month ago. That witness was a woman. Miss Forbes, sorry to disturb you like this, but we'd like to ask some questions about that liquor store killing you witnessed a little over a month ago. Well, I told the police everything I knew about it then. Yeah, we know, but maybe you wouldn't mind telling us again, huh? Oh, no, I guess not. I, I've been trying to forget it to tell the truth. It was pretty terrible, and I really didn't see so very much because I was awful scared. I understand, but try to describe again just what happened, will you? Well, it was about 10 o'clock at night. 
I was walking down the street toward home when I re- realized I was all out of cigarettes. Well, I was right in front of the liquor store then, so I went in. The clerk was behind the counter, and there were two men standing there arguing. What's the idea of changing your mind? I thought we was going to get bourbon. No, let's get the wine. I want bourbon. Gosh, too much. Wine's good enough. The rest of them want bourbon, too. We better talk to them. Well, okay. We'll be back when we make up our mind, mister. And two men walked out of the store, and the clerk smiled at me and shrugged his shoulders. I bought a pack of cigarettes and turned to leave. But just then, the two men came back in again, and each of them had a gun in his hands. There's a stick up, mister. Clerk just sort of crumpled to the floor. I couldn't believe my eyes, but that's just how it happened. The men said this is a stick-up, and then they shot him right away. Get over against the wall, lady, or you'll get the same. One of them punched a the no-sale on the cash register. I was shaking, so I almost caved in. He scooped the money out of the drawer and stuffed it into his pocket. And then... Then the other one went over to where the liquor clerk was lying, face down. He knelt down beside the clerk, and he put his gun against the clerk's spine. Then they both ran out of the store. It was terrible. That clerk, he was lying there, helpless and wounded, and they, they delivered... Yeah, oh, Miss Forbes, I understand. Oh, Miss Forbes, uh, you said that both of the men had guns? Yes. One of the guns was black, and the other was sort of... Well, sort of fancy-looking. What do you mean, Miss Forbes? Well, it was real shiny. Nickel-plated? Oh, I wouldn't know about that, but it was shiny. There were two guns, huh? Yes. Well, now about the men themselves. Well, I... I was so scared their faces just didn't register with me. The one who... one who shot the clerk in the back was sort of stocky. That's about the best I can do. Well, you mentioned in the report that one of the men was left-handed. Yes, I do remember that. Uh-huh. Now, look, Miss Forbes, this is very important to us. One of the men was a redhead. Redhead? Why, no, I didn't see any redhead. <laughs> Skipper, me and Joe's run right smack into a stone wall on this thing. What's the complication? Well, there's more than one, Ed. In the first place, we know that the 44 Smith & Wesson was used in both shootings. But the descriptions of the men involved don't check. Police officer Emerson said he thought the man that, uh, uh, that shot him and Williams outside the trapdoor cafe was a tall, left-handed redhead. Said there's something funny about his nose. You think Williams got a better look at him? Well, he probably did, but Williams isn't strong enough to talk yet. And a girl that witnessed the liquor store killing a month ago said that one of those men was left-handed. But she said neither of them was a redhead. And on top of all that, now we've got two guns to worry about. The girl mentioned two guns, so we checked the autopsy report on that liquor clerk. And, Ed, the bullet that actually killed him came from a thirty-two twenty, not a forty-four Smith & Wesson. That fact didn't get any publicity at the time, did it? No, it didn't. Okay. We won't give it any publicity now, either. With a lot on, it's just the 44 Smith & Wesson we're after. Because if whoever owns the 3220 finds out it's hot, we'll never get it. Anything else? Well, we sent teletypes to all outland stations in neighboring cities. Told them if they get any red-headed suspects, no matter what charge they got them on, to hold them for questioning. Yeah. Now, how about this 3220, the actual murder weapon? Any leads on it? We've got one, Ed. We've been checking the records, and we discovered that four hours after the liquor store killing, a taxi driver in the neighborhood was shot and robbed. The slug was pretty well mashed, but there was enough to tell it was from a thirty-two twenty. So we're going over to question the taxi driver now. Good. Well, I think you boys are on the right trail. So far, what we've got is mostly unrelated facts, but sooner or later, those facts have all got to tie in at some point along the line. Find that point. <laughs> the point. 
find the tie-in. Well, Ben and I went over to see the taxi driver, a guy who was living on borrowed time. Yeah, it, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when it happened. I got a call to pick up a fare near 105th and Avalon, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I got there, somebody came over, pulled open my cab door and said, this is a stick-up. Then blowy, you let me have it. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. Same deal as others, Joe. Itchy trigger finger. Yeah. Did you get any kind of a look at the fella? Look, no, no, it was too dark. Uh-huh. Hey, um, according to the report, you got shot in the chest. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're maybe wondering how come I'm still alive, huh? I'll tell you, pal, it's like something you'd see in a bad movie, you know? You know I'm carrying a few silver dollars with me, nine of them to be exact. So I decided to stick them in my breast pocket. Well, Mr. That just saved my life. The slug hit them silver dollars. It's one for the book, huh? Yeah, you said it. Well, thanks very much. Say, incidentally, we had a little trouble finding you today. You weren't at the stand you operated out of last month. Oh, look, look, uh, I'm not only not at my usual stand, I'm not driving a hack no more. Oh? Look, after what happened, are you kidding? No, I don't want to push my luck any further than it's been pushed. Yeah, I figure I had it, you know? And about that time, Ben and I were beginning to figure we'd had it. We were getting nowhere fast. We had a few informants nosing around, but so far they hadn't come up with any leads. Well, Ben and I followed up all the teletypes that poured in. We just got back from Santa Ana where we'd been questioning a redheaded suspect, and we'd flopped in the squad room when Chief Backstrand's door opened. Friday, Romero. Got a minute? Yes, yeah, Kim. Any luck with the Santa Ana redheads? No, nope, none at all. Hmm. I guess you haven't heard the latest. We just now got back in town, Kevin. Early this morning, another cab driver got shot. What? Yeah. Man came up to his taxi, opened the door, said, this is a stick-up, and shot him. Well, it went through one leg and into the other, but the driver managed to start his cab and drove over to a cafe. He called in from there. Uh, boys recovered the slug? Yeah. It came from the same 44 Smith and Wesson that was used in the other two jobs. The cab driver get a look at the gunman? Yeah, briefly. Was it the redhead? No. Oh, the stocky guy. He wasn't redheaded and he wasn't stocky. That's all the driver knows. Well, that's great. Skipper, this is beginning to sound like a guns a month club. You reckon somebody's renting them guns out? Well, they're passing the guns around all right, but I think they're working together. The way they operate indicates that. Yeah, the trigger happy routine. Killing is apparently more than a business to them. It's pleasure, too. That's why we've got to get to them fast. Come over here. All right. Come on, Ben. Here. Take a look at this map. Uh-huh. Here's the trapdoor cafe. And over here's the liquor store. And down here is where the first cab driver got shot. Mm-hmm. Right here's where the second one got it. Mm. All of the shootings have taken place within an area of ten square blocks. Okay. Tonight we're going to throw a blockade around that whole area. Good. It'll go into effect at 10 p.m. <laughs> At 9.45 p.m., cars and officers started drifting into the area by twos and threes. And at 10, when Backstrand, Ben, and I arrived, the whole area was sewed up tighter than a tick. Now, three. Pacific Ambulance Davis? One. Gotcha. All set? All set. We've got a primary line and a secondary line. If anyone tries to make a break, we'll pick him up in the secondary. Okay. Friday and Romero here will cruise around the area with me. Go to work, man. Every car in the area was shaken down. The same process was also followed on all persons on foot. The blockade went on all night. By the end of that time, we'd brought in 217 suspects. 26 of them were redheads. What's your name? 
Henry Wagner. Where do you work? Lumber yard. Which one? For a star. What time did you get through work last night? About six, I guess. What'd you do then? At some dinner. Where? Uh, Harry's Grill. Then what? Shot a little pool. Look, I tell you, I ain't done nothing. Now, uh, let's go back to the day before yesterday. And that's the way it went all day long. We shot question after question at them, working them gradually back to the days on which the shootings had taken place. When it was all over, we got six men wanted in other cities on various charges. We got quite an assortment of guns and knives. But as far as the shootings were concerned, we got nothing. Well, I guess that's the last of them. Oh, I was running out of questions there at the end. You two boys better go on home and get some sleep. Well... I was kind of figuring on checking back over the reports to see if we might have overlooked something. I said go on home. You two boys have been at it for 32 hours straight. Look at you. You're both so groggy you can hardly stand up. You need sleep. It's uh, 4 p.m. now. Don't come back until 10 p.m. into the squad room at 10, Ben was already there. An informant had just phoned in a new lead. He told Ben he'd heard about a gang that had been hanging out down around the DeVere bungalow court in the south end of town. We knew that the DeVere was close to the trapdoor cafe, so we went over to talk to the manager. Joe, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, you checked on how Williams is getting along? Yeah, I did. I called the hospital this afternoon. It's going to be all right. Oh, that's fine. Well, here we are. Yeah, manager's office. Still got a line on. Yeah? I'm Sergeant Friday, police. This is Sergeant Romero. Yeah? We'd like a little information. Why, sure. Come in. Thank you. What can I do for you? Well, did you hear anything about a gang that hangs out down around here anywhere? Gang? Why, no. How about your tenants here? Any of them ever been in trouble, to your knowledge? No. This ain't exactly the best neighborhood in town, but we try to keep things under control. Once in a while, one of them will get out of line, but when that happens, we heave them out of here. You heaved anybody out lately? Yeah, I did. Phone his wife a few weeks ago. They had a fight in one of the bungalows. She took a shot at him, but she missed. Party by the name of Stuba, Carl Stuba. What did this Stuba look like? Oh, sort of tall, skinny. Was he a redhead? No. Now, we'd like to take a look at that bungalow that he lived in. Sure, sure. Help yourself. Down the end there, number five. Still vacant. does it? Stuba didn't leave a thing behind. Matter of fact, we don't have anything to prove that this Stuba's tied in at all. We're only working on our hands. Hey, Joe, look. Where? Up on the wall there, just by the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that plaster there, it's newer than the rest. You got a knife? Oh, sure have, boy, and I'm carving. That manager'd be awful unhappy with me if he was here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, it might. Hey, Joe, here it is. A slug. They plastered right over. Okay, dig it out and let's hope it matches. It matched. The slug from the wall came from the same 44 Smith & Wesson that had been used in the other shootings. So now we had a name to work on, Carl Stuba. But he'd done a good job of dropping out of sight. Well, the next day, Ben thought he had another lead. I've just been talking to another informant, Joe. He says he heard that there's a fella down in that neighborhood been trying to sell a gun lately. What kind of a gun? Nickel-plated with steer horn handles. Nickel-plated? Well, maybe that's our 44 Smith & Wesson. Maybe. Did the informant know who this man was? Said the feller's name was Alonzo. Yeah. Alonzo who? Just Alonzo. That's all he knew. 
substations, interviewing red-headed suspects. We took a few of them to Williams, who was home from the hospital by now, but he couldn't identify any of them as the man who shot him. Still, we kept checking. Finally, we got around to the 77th Street station. We questioned the suspects they were holding there, and we just started to leave when one of the officers called us. Hey, Sarge, yeah. we're holding somebody else you might want to look at. Redhead? No. What's the choice? Suspicion of burglary? Small job. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? What's special about him? He lives in the same neighborhood where those shootings took place. All right. Where you got him? Down here. You admit anything? No. He's pretty surly. Here we are. Thanks. Hi. What do you want? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Look, I already told the other cops all I know. I didn't steal no radio from that jerk. What's your name? We've been through all that once. Come on, what's your name? Jackson. Alonzo Jackson. Alonzo. I looked at Ben and Ben looked at me. This could be the Alonzo who'd been trying to peddle that Smith and Wesson. Ben and I both knew here was one suspect we'd have to be real careful with. Alonzo, um... According to the records, this burglary you're suspected of took place on the night of the 27th. Look, how many times do I have to tell you guys they didn't have anything to do with it? You got an alibi for that night? Sure, I got an alibi. I was out with a couple of friends, I can tell you. What's your friend's name, Lonzo? One of them's Cranley, the other's Stuba. Stuba, the guy who used to live in the bungalow court. Well, we told Alonzo he'd have to produce his two friends to give him an alibi for the burglary charge, and he bit. He went with us, and he pointed out where Stuba was living now. No wonder we hadn't been able to find him. It was a little shack at the back of a lot behind two houses. We thought it was a chicken coop at first. We took Alonzo back to the station, then we picked up Stuba. He was surprised to see us and not very happy. We took him in. Next, Alonzo gave us Crandall's address. Yeah? Mr. Crandall in? No. Will he be back soon? I don't know. Who are you? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, police. What do you want with him? Oh, nothing important, lady. We just wanted him as a witness. Oh. Well, I don't know just when he'll be back. Probably an hour or two. Okay, thanks. We went down the street away, and we staked out in the car. We sat there for about five hours, and then Ben nudged me in the ribs. Hey, Joe. Huh? Joe, take a look. Coming along the sidewalk. Yeah. And he's got red hair. Come on. Crandall. Huh? Your name, Crandall? Who are you? Friday Romero, police. Police? What do you want with me? I, I haven't done nothing. Well, then you got nothing in the world to worry about. Come on. We questioned Crandall for an hour, but he wouldn't give an inch. Denied everything. Then we put him in a car and we drove over to Officer Williams' house. I left Ben in the living room with Crandall while I went in Williams' bedroom. Hello, Sarge. Hi, Williams. How you doing? Yeah, a little better, I think. That's fine. Look, we've got another redhead outside. <laughs> Bring him in. Okay. All right, Crandall, come on in here. Who's in there? Why'd you bring me over here? Come on in here. How about it, Williams? 
That's the guy. No, I'm that's not. That's the I... guy that shot me. Well, Crandall? No. Yeah. I... It... it was an accident. I didn't mean to shoot him. It was an accident. Once Crandall got started, he talked his head off. He also admitted being in on the liquor store killing, but insisted he was only the lookout. We took him back to the station and got his whole story down on a tape recorder. Yeah, he was left-handed. Then we went back to Alonzo, who didn't know we had Crandall's confession. We met the chief in the hall outside the room where they were holding Alonzo. About ready to tie the knot? Oh, hope so, chief. But Alonzo hasn't given any yet, and we still haven't found those guns. We've got one of them. Which one? The Smith & Wesson. Stuba popped about that one ten minutes ago. Said he left it with his girl. A couple of the boys are on their way over to get it now. That's good, Ed. That leaves just the thirty-two twenty. You haven't mentioned the thirty-two twenty to Alonzo, have you? No. He still thinks we're after that Smith and Wesson, and that's the way we're going to play it right now. Go ahead. Look, how much longer are you guys going to hold me here? Didn't you check with those friends of mine? Alonzo, we got a tip that you've been trying to sell a gun lately. A gun? Yeah, forty-four Smith and Wesson. Ah. Oh. No, it's not true. That Smith & Wesson's been using a couple of robbery jobs this month, and we think it's your gun. That's a lie. Any proof of that? Why, yeah. Sure, I got proof of that. Uh, I used to have a gun, but it wasn't a Smith & Wesson. Look, if I tell you where it is, that ought to convince you, shouldn't it? It'll help things. Okay. I sold it to a neighbor of mine. He gave me seven bucks. I'll give you his address. You sure it's not a Smith & Wesson? Sure, I'm sure. It's a thirty-two twenty. We went to the neighbor's address, and he admitted having bought the thirty-two twenty, but said he lent it to a friend who'd never returned it. The friend had hocked the gun to a barber. The barber gave him 15 bucks and a haircut for it. We finally got it from the barber, and we came back to the station. I'm all set, Joe. I'll be in the next room. Just give me the nod. Okay. Hello, Alonzo. Hey, you got the gun. Yeah, we got the gun. Well, now maybe you'll believe I'm on the level. Okay, if I go now? I guess we won't be able to hold you here much longer. You can say that again, brother. You could have saved a lot of time if you had to listen to what I've been trying to tell you all along. I guess you're right, Alonzo. Sure, I'm right. You know, you guys would be a lot better off. You believe guys like me the first time we tell you something. Instead of running... I was only a lookout. I was outside. Huh? It was the other two who pulled that one. Huh? Stuba and Alonzo. Alonzo killed the clerk. Hold it, Alonzo. Hold it, Alonzo. That's enough. Now, come on. How about it? Well, what's the use? All right. That's like he said. Okay, Ben, bring the recorder in here. Alonzo's ready to make a record now. By playing back Crandall's statement that we'd recorded earlier, we got a full confession from Alonzo. We took the three of them out and had them reenact the four shootings, and we photographed it on sound film. Crandall, the redhead, was the one who'd shot the two police officers, but he was only the lookout for the liquor store killing, which explains why the girl witness didn't see him in the store. Stuba and Alonzo were the ones who pulled that job, and Alonzo, the worst of the bunch, was the one who put the thirty-two twenty against the spine of the wounded clerk. The three of them took turns at shooting the cab drivers and robbing them. That accounted for the mixed-up descriptions, including all that left-handed business. Two of the three suspects happened to be left-handed. Well, that was the crop. Crandall Alonzo Stuba. Four shootings, three robberies, four attempted murders, one murder. The three men were tried and convicted. They're all in the state penitentiary. Crandall's there for life. Alonzo and Stuba, they'll be executed next week. 
File it, will you, Ben? Case closed. Dragnet! The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the second in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Radio Officer Delmer E. Cook of the Los Angeles Police Department, who on the afternoon of December 6th, 1948, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. There's a potential killer on the loose in your city. Eighteen women have been beaten and robbed by this man. The newspapers call him the werewolf. Your job is to get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday morning, February 2nd. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of robbery detail. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant and so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the teletype room, and it was 3 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Hi, Ben. What's up? Keep the coat on, Joe. Just had a hot shot call. Coming, Skipper? Right behind you. Let's go, Freddy. Well, what was it, Ed? Another woman robbed, almost beaten to death. 
Uh, well, how many does that make? About 18 in six weeks. Is that right, Skipper? Yeah, 18 too many. Come on down these stairs to the garage. Yeah. What about that suspect we had, Ed? You mean Martin? Yeah. Had to release him this morning. But I got a good tail on him, Henderson. Yeah. We got any reports yet? Nothing definite to hold him for. Here's the garage. Let's hustle it. Right. Then if this isn't Martin's job, Skipper, and he's not the right man... Then we start all over again, and we work night and day till we find the right man. Here's the car. Let's go. Ben, you drive. Yeah, all right. How do the victims describe this guy, Ed? Pretty sketchy. Supposed to be tall, dark, long black hair. Last woman said he had a face like an animal. Something like a dog. Like a dog. Or a wolf. A wolf? Yeah. Yeah. She said... Something like a werewolf. Something like a werewolf. We almost had to be that, judging from the way he operated. He was either an animal or a raving maniac. One thing we were sure of, he was smart and he was dangerous. For almost two months, he'd prowled the streets in a stolen car in the early morning, usually between 3 and 5 a.m., and the victims were always lone women, most of them waitresses, coming to work or going home. He dragged them into the car, robbed them, beat them until they were unconscious, and then throw the body out into the street. That's just what we found when we pulled up to the curb near the corner of 8th and Grand. One cruiser car was already there, and so was the ambulance. About a dozen people were standing around looking at the crumpled figure of a woman sprawled out on the sidewalk. Two officers were talking to the only witness, a thin, sallow-faced newsboy. His story didn't give us much to go on. Like I was telling these cops, sir, or these officers, sir, I was walking up 8th Street on my way home as usual when I see this blue Chevy sedan pull up down a the block there a little way and dump out the dame's body. Well, actually, I, I don't know what to think. Did you get a look at the license plate? Well, well, no, I didn't. Tell you the truth, I could hardly keep from... Well, I was just plain scared. Mm-hmm. What did you do after you saw him throw the body out, sir? I just stood there for a minute, and the fellow in the car drove right on past me. Did you get a look at him? I sure did. How close were you when he drove past? Well, no, he couldn't have been more than, well, eight or ten feet away. Uh. I was right over there by the street light near the curb. Would you know this man if you saw him again? I don't know about his height or his build or his weight, but, mister, his face I'll never forget. Why do you say that? It was just like the paper says about him. Right, Right here on the front page. Here, read it. See? Woman says attacker looked like werewolf. That's all the newsboy could tell us. The suspect drove a blue sedan. He had a face like a werewolf. We covered the neighborhood for clues, and we questioned a dozen people, but we got nowhere. We took the witness's name and address, and then we drove down a couple of blocks to an all-night gas station. 14 hour after that call. I'm going in here and call the office and see if Henderson's called in on Martin. We might still have a suspect. Right, Skipper. Mm. Looks as mad as a wet hornet, doesn't it, Joe? Yeah. Did you get a good look at that woman's face when they moved her in the ambulance? Hell. Sure does like to mess him up. Oh, I don't know how we're going to get him, Ben, but we better do it fast. Next time it'll probably be murder. Oh, here comes the Skipper, Joe. Uh, uh-oh. Doesn't look good. What is it, Ed? Just talked to Henderson. He tailed Martin to a bar in Long Beach. He hasn't been out of his sight for two minutes since yesterday. 
Martin's clear. And we're right back where we started. Yeah, with one more half-dead woman in the hospital. Well, how about that stolen car, Skip? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Get that radio up. Code 3, ambulance dispatched. Attention, all units. On Grand Avenue between Venice and Washington, a woman, victim of robbery and attack. Code 3, ambulance to task. Code 3, red light and siren. Come on, Friday, let's roll. We couldn't be sure, but it sounded like another one. Six minutes later, we were there. Same story. Werewolf. The next day, the chief ordered the number of cruiser cars doubled in the central district. This was for the early morning watch with plainclothesmen to back them up. Then the newspapers played it vague, and in two days, the story was on the front page of every paper in town. Maybe that should have made the werewolf lay low, but it didn't. Because at four o'clock that morning, while Ben and I were patrolling with the other cars, he got his 20th victim. Attention, all units. Whittier between Soto and Matthews. A woman, victim of 211, an attack. Code 3. Ambulance dispatched. Here's a report on that blue sedan he used the other night, Joe. Found it out on Anaheim Telegraph Road. Any luck with it? Not one fingerprint we can use. Anything else? Nothing. Well, how about the auto theft detail? Same old story, Joe. He steals a car, uses it once, and then drops it. Never leaves a thing behind. Well, that's great. We're sure moving fast. How about that big guy you picked out of the lineup this morning? Oh, I checked his alibi. It's perfect. Hmm. Now we haven't got even half a clue. Yeah. Well, come on. Let's check with Eddie. He's instructing the police women on the plan for tonight. All right. Now you've heard the reports. You understand how the suspect operates and what you're to do. Yes, so. Remember, all of you forget you were ever policewomen. Change the way you walk, the way you carry yourselves. That's the part you're playing, all right? Okay. And be careful and don't take any chances. All right, Freddy. Okay, Ed. Now, just to make sure you look the part, we're spotting each one of you at different restaurants and coffee shops throughout the central district. And from 7 o'clock tonight until daylight tomorrow, each one of you is going to be a waitress. You got that? Yeah. Okay, Ben, you want to give them their assignments? Okay, Joe. Well, here's the way it lines up. Marge Kissel at the Top Hat Cafe. That's on 9th Street between Alvarado and Westlake. Okay. And Katie Wells, Joe's Coffee House, Brooklyn Soto. Right. Pat Fielding at the all-night steakhouse on Figueroa Street between Florence... No, the trick of using decoys to lure criminals into a trap wasn't exactly new, but, well, it was just one of the old tricks that we figured might land the werewolf behind bars. At 7 that night, Ben and I made the rounds and found each of the policewomen on her job as a waitress. Well, the overall plan was simple. The girls were to leave the different restaurants between 3 and 5 a.m. that morning and pretend they were walking home. We mapped different courses for each one of them to throw out as much bait as possible and yet not to make it look suspicious. Each policewoman, from the time she left the restaurant and stepped out into the deserted streets, would be pretty much on her own. We had officers planted all along the way at designated intervals, but a big element of chance and danger was still there. All we could do was cross our fingers and hope. How much more time, Joe? Let me see. She's doing two minutes. Yeah. Waiting gets on your nerves. And it won't be long. This corner doorway's pretty good lookout, boy. Yeah. Wait a minute. Listen. Who is it, Joe? Can you see? Get back. What is it? Wait a minute. It's Marge Kissel. There's a man following her. A big guy. If it's the werewolf, where's his car? I don't know. Maybe he changed his plans. Get back. Here they come. You get a look at him, Joe? Oh, pretty good. Not too suspicious. Might be coincidence. Well, I got a pretty good lead. Come on, let's go. Stay back in the shadows. 
Hey, Joe. Hmm? So where'd the guy go to? I lost him. The little coffee shop up on the next corner, see? Take a look. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's opening the door. He's turning on the lights. Yeah. Looks like a false alarm, Joe. Well, let's check him anyway. Well, I didn't think we'd be that lucky on the first try, and we weren't. We asked the man a few questions, and it didn't take him long to show us he wasn't our man. He owned the coffee shop. So, Ben and I went back and took up our posts again and waited for the next decoy. We covered that ten-block course six times that morning, back and forth, following the bait, but it was almost as if the guy could sense a trap. Not once did we get a nibble. By the time our last decoy finished the route, it was almost daylight. Joe, I never was so glad to see that sun come up in my whole life. My feet feel like they're puffing right up out of my shoes. Yeah, me too. Come on, let's get over to the car and check on the other squad out in Boyle Heights. Huh? Mm-hmm. Oh. Hit the radio, will you, Ben? Yeah. Joe, there must be some easier job on the force than this. Yeah, you and me both. Now, let's see what happened to the others, huh? 80K to unit 104K, come in. 104K to unit 80K, go ahead. 104K, this is Friday. You do any good out there? This is Miller. I'll call Curtis. Stand by. 80K to 104K, Roger. What do you think, Joe? Maybe a buy? I don't know. Oh, this guy seems to work like a mind reader. Well, he can't win all of them. 104K to unit 80K. This is Curtis. Go ahead. This is Friday, Al. How'd you do out there? Any luck? Just checked in the last gal, Joe. Eddie Welch, not a sign. Okay, Al. Have the men check in. 80K clear. KGPL. Okay, let's go, Ben. When we finally got back to the office that morning, both Ben and I were ready for some sleep, but it didn't look like we were going to get it. We just about finished going through the overnight reports for some kind of a lead when the phone rang. Robbery Friday. Hi, Joe. This is Wilkerson, Auto Theft. Hi, Wilkie. You got something for us? Not much, Joe, but it might work into something. Just got a report in on a pair of stolen license plates. Oh? Yeah. I'm not much of a hawkshaw, but I figure there's just a chance it might be your werewolf boy. How come? I don't know. Maybe just a hunch. After 13 years in this business, you get to know thieves pretty well. Sometimes you got to even think like them. Okay, Wilkie, thanks. We'll check by in a couple of minutes. Right, Joe. What do you have to say? A pair of license plates stolen last night. Wilkie's got a hunch it could have been our man. Well, it might be an angle, Joe. If that werewolf guy'd hang on to one car long enough, we'd have a chance at him. Well, he's too smart for that. I don't know, Joe. Sooner or later, he's going to make a mistake. Yeah. Come on, let's check with Wilkie. Well, we checked with Wilkerson. We got the best piece of news we'd had in days. On the average, 95% of stolen cars are recovered or located within 24 hours. In the remaining 5%, Wilkerson, by a simple process of elimination, narrowed down the number of cars the suspect might be driving. Wilkie figured six cars. There they are. Now, I'll bet you if you picked up your man tonight, he'd be in one of these cars. Let me see, huh? Two-door black sedan, yellow convertible, another sedan, green, blue coupe, black coupe, and a gray convertible. Well, that's good work, Wilkie. At least we got something to look for now. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Uh, Wilkie, you got the numbers of those stolen plates you're talking about? Yeah, right here, Ben. They're already on the hot sheet. Good. Keep us posted, huh? As usual, Ben. See you later, Wilkie. Well, that's a good break, Ben. Something to keep us busy tonight. Tonight? What do you mean? We're setting another trap. Same thing as last night. Same police women. Same everything. Well, only this time, let's hope he steps into it. You know, Joe, this werewolf character is getting me mad. <laughs> 
That night, we followed in our own footsteps. We planted the policewomen decoys in three separate districts, and a few minutes before 3 a.m., our squad of men took up their positions. The same policewomen went to their waitress jobs in the same restaurants, and Ben and I and the rest of the men stood in darkened doorways or empty filling stations or whatever cover we could find. And we waited and waited. What time is it, Joe? Let me look. Half past four. Oh, thank you. Any sign, Joe? No, nothing yet. Come on, stay in the shadows. That's the way it went all through the early morning. The same plan over and over again until daylight. Ben and I had check in at the station, go over the late stolen car reports with Wilkie, catch a few hours sleep at home, and then come back and do it all over again. The next night, and the next morning, and the night after that, and the morning after that. Five days later, Ben and I were ready to call it quits. I'll admit it, Joe, I can't figure. The guy's either psychic or else he can smell a cop a mile away. Yeah, well, at least we got that stolen car angle left. You check with Wilkie yet this morning? I'll give him a call now. All right. This is Ben, Wilkie. Got anything for us this morning? Yeah, just gonna call you. You fellas ought to let me solve your cases for you. Why? What'd you get? The boys picked up three of those six stolen cars since late yesterday. Great. Now, what does that leave us with? Well, here are the three still missing. Yeah. Four X-ray 763. Yeah. Five six young 342. Uh-huh. Six one Robert 385. Yeah. Got those? Yeah, thank you, Wilkie. Check you later. Good news. Remember those six missing cars? Yeah. Wilkie says the boys found three of them since late yesterday. Here's what's still out. The blue coupe, the yellow convertible, and the gray convertible. Yeah. Well, this feels like the right track for a change, Ben. Righty. Romero, got a minute? Sure thing, Skipper. Come on, Joe. What do you got, Ed? A woman up in Hollywood just called in with this. She said she walked down to the corner from her house last night to mail the letter. On the way back, a guy pulled up in the car and tried to drag her inside. Any description? Big, heavy set, dark, same thing. Well, how'd you get away from him, Skipper? She said she started running as soon as he made a motion toward her. When he saw her run up the steps of her house, he jumped back in the car and took off. Well, how come she didn't call in before this? Well, she hasn't got a phone. She's afraid to leave the house again until this morning. Sounds good, Chief. You got her address there? Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Tom Burdick, 1237 Wilcox, apartment 10. Come on, Ben. This might be what we're looking for. Who is it? Who's there? Sergeant Friday, ma'am. Police. Oh, just a moment. I'm Sergeant Romero, Miss Birdie. This is my partner, Sergeant Friday. We come out to check on your call about that little trouble last night. Oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to be much help to you. I was so frightened about all I could do was just run. Well, could you add anything to the man's description, Miss Burdick? I mean, other than what you told the chief on the phone? Well, no. Honestly, I don't think I can. All I saw was this tall, dark man jumping out of his car and starting for me. He had a heavy build and seemed to me, well, a large head... With lots of long black hair. Uh-huh. Uh, Miss Burdick, uh, would you recognize this man if you ever saw him again? Well, I think I might. He was such an unusually big man, almost frightened me to death. Well, just one more question, Miss Burdick. Could you describe the car this man was driving when he approached you? His car? Mm-hmm. Why, yes. It was a gray convertible. Miss Burdick, are you sure of that? Yes, I'm sure of it. A gray convertible. 
Thank you, Miss Burdick. That's all we wanted to know. Sometimes when you're on a case, you can chase yourself around in circles for weeks trying to fit together just two little pieces of a yard-long jigsaw puzzle. And a lot of the time, you find the answer where you least expect it. But once you get that feeling you're after the right man in the right way, there's nothing that can shake you. When Ben and I got back to headquarters, we went straight to the chief's office with the story, and we had him stake out the gray convertible. In other words, if any detective or officer spotted the car, he reported it back to us, but he stayed away from it. We figured that there probably weren't more than two of the victims who could take the witness stand and identify the man who robbed and beat them. Not with a smart defense lawyer, anyway. So there was only one way to catch this suspect. Red-handed. Here they are, Joe. Both sets of license numbers for that gray convertible. Here are the original, and here are the numbers on the stolen plate. Good. Everybody got a hot sheet? From the chief all the way down to the janitor. Fine. Now let's get together with Ed, huh? Hot shot, Joe. Grab it. I got it. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly beaten. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly... Come on, Ben, another one. But, Joe, it's broad daylight. Yeah, doesn't figure, does it? Come on. Vacant lot over, Joe. Two plain clothesmen and uniformed officers were keeping the crowd back. An ambulance was drawn up by the curb, but it was empty. When we got down to the rear of the lot, we found out why. They were waiting for the coroner. The woman was young, not much more than 30. Her body was half sprawled across the muddy ground, and her face was turned upward. It had been badly beaten. They figured it happened last night, Sergeant. Have the fingerprint men been notified? Yeah. How about the crime lab? Just called them. That's good. Now, let's keep everybody out of the area till they get here. All right, Sergeant. Uh, who found the body? One of the kids in the neighborhood. The woman was dead when he found her. Did she live around here? Well, about a half mile away. I hear she's got three kids. Or she had three kids. Uh-huh. You've seen enough, Ben? Yeah. Let's get on back to headquarters. back to headquarters, Ben and I planned our next move. And by the time we got to Ed Backstrand's office, we knew exactly what had to be done. When we told him about the werewolf murder, he didn't say a thing for a minute. He just stared across the room at the calendar on the wall. Then he brought his hand down hard against the desk. Friday, Romero, I'm only going to say this once, so get it straight. That guy's pulled his last job in this city. He's through robbing and beating women, and he's through with murder. I've given you time to track him down, and now I want him in. No stalls and no excuses. I want him. I don't care how many men you use, and I don't care how you get him, but get him. That's all. Ben and I worked all that afternoon, right through dinner, up until 8 o'clock. By that time, the overall plan was down on paper and already in action. It was one of the biggest things we'd ever tackled, and, well, we didn't know if it was going to work. We only knew it had to work. We had a squad of 65 cars to stretch out over 40 square miles of the city in one big dragnet. The blockade itself would be stationary most of the time, and working inside it would be two cars, 14 policewomen as decoys, with two plainclothesmen assigned to watch each policewoman. If and when the werewolf was sighted in the gray convertible, we'd automatically take over the police radio for the whole city, and Backstrand would direct the chase from headquarters. A little after eight, we had coffee and hamburgers, and we went to Ben's for a few hours. Ben tucked his kid in bed as usual, and then he laid down for a nap. 
I talked to his wife until I dozed off in the chair. At 11.30, she woke us up. I combed my hair and put on my coat. Cops' wives are like everybody else's. They worry. When we met Ed at headquarters, we did some last-minute checking on details with Backstrand for about a half an hour, and then we were all ready to go. By five minutes past two, half the dragnet crew pulled out of the police garage and scattered over the city to their places. By 2.35, the other half pulled out, and a few minutes later, Ben and I followed. At three minutes to three that morning, Backstrand took over communications and checked every car in the operation. It was a good start. Every man in his right place by the right time. The trap was set. All we needed now was to find our suspect, the werewolf, inside. Control 4 to Unit 80K. Control 4 to Unit 80K. 80K to Control 4. Go ahead. This is Backstrand standing by. 80K. Roger. Clear. KGPL. Okay, Ben. Now let's go find him. I got a hunch, Joe. Let's try the Wilshire District first. Sounds all right to me. Let's go. first hour and a half, we raked the Wilshire District back and forth. Not a sign. Then about 38 minutes past four, we headed back for the downtown area and parked in an alley where we could double check on one of our police women decoys. Here comes one of the gals now, Joe. Pat Fielder. Bet her feet are almost as tarred as mine. Yeah. You see anything else, Ben? Nothing. Quiet as a church. No. No, no, wait a minute. Hmm? Car just turned the corner. Heading up in the same direction she is. Joe. Hmm? Joe, it's slowing down. Wait a minute. It's pulling up beside her. It's a gray convertible. It's him, Joe. Come on. Ben, get out. He sees us. He's got a gun. You all right, Ben? Yeah, look at that guy take off. 80K to control four. 80K to control four. We've spotted the suspect. He's driving a gray Ford convertible. License 61 Robert 385. Suspect's headed east on Olympic from Alameda. Driving without lights. Suspect is armed. He had a fast car and he knew how to drive it. We almost lost him twice. Two minutes after we sighted him, Backstrand took over full radio control. Control 4 to Unit 80K. ADK to Control 4. We're traveling at a high rate of speed, headed east on Olympic, crossing Soto Street. Control 4 to all units. Stand by. Units 11A, 12, and 13R close in on the intersections at Olympic and Lorena. Units 41, 42, 45, and 104K move on the next four crossings east of that. To the north and south, units 105K, 14A, 70R, 43T. Lock all main arteries. Five cars in the dragnet had pulled in like a noose around a five-mile area. Ben and I hoped it was just a matter of time. Unit 80K to Control 4. Control 4 to 80K, go ahead. He's headed north on Fresno Street, crossing Whittier Boulevard. Attention all units. 80K now pursuing suspect north on Fresno from Whittier Boulevard. Units 15, 105K, 11R, and 18A block off the intersection on Fresno and 4. Hey, Ben, up there ahead. What's he trying to do now? Look, he's turning around. Yeah. Yeah, and he's coming right for us. Watch it, Joe. Look out. Pretty close. 80K to control four. Control 80K, go ahead. Exchanging shots with suspect. Watch it, Ben. Here he comes again. Sure likes to use that gun, doesn't he? Sure does. 
Hey, Joe, look. Look, he's turning east. He's running for Holland Beck Park. Yeah, 80K to control four. Suspect just drove up over curb and into Holland Beck Park. like a werewolf. Yeah. You got your handcuffs? Yeah. Okay. Got a cigarette? I've been out for an hour. Middle place across the street. Maybe we can get somewhere. Okay. There's the crew from the 41R. Hey, fellas, take him into robbery, will you? Okay, Friday. I think there's a vending machine in there. Uh-huh. Say, uh, you got some change for the cigarette machine, mister? I think so. Say, uh, who's that guy all them cops were after over in the park a little while ago? I picked up the werewolf. Been reading the papers? Yeah. You fellas cops? Yeah. <laughs> sure made it easy for you, didn't he? All you cops had to do was surround the little fella in the park. Nothing to it, huh? Yeah, that's right, mister. Nothing to it. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Walter Barton, known as the werewolf, was tried and convicted and is now serving a full life sentence at the state penitentiary. This has been Dragnet, the third in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Sergeant Mario Victor Dairo of the Los Angeles Police Department, who on the morning of January 1st, 1943, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Rocket Dog Rescue is a Bay Area organization that works to save dogs from death at overcrowded shelters and put them into happy homes. If you're looking to adopt 
or have some extra cash you feel like donating, go to rocketdogrescue.org. That's R-O-C-K-E-T-D-O-G-R-E-S-C-U-E dot O-R-G. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Furry Friends Rescue is an all-volunteer, non-profit companion animal rescue organization for San Francisco Bay Area. FFR rescues dogs and cats of all ages, from bottle babies to seniors, and special medical needs from animal shelters. And home fosters over 120 dogs and cats year-round until they're adopted. FFR saves about 1,000 animals per year. We assist 70 animal shelters and other rescues via our website. Since November 1998, we have helped save over 12,000 dogs and cats. Please visit our website for more information at www.furryfriendsrescue.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. All right, everybody, grab a donut and a beer. It's bells in your battery. This is Bells in the Bat Free, episode number three, and they said we'd never make it this far. I'm John Bell, your genial host, and let's get things underway, shall we? In my email inbox recently, I have had an influx of email advising me to buy certain stocks, hot stock tips, you can't go wrong with this stock, etc., etc. I have no idea why I'm getting these particular emails, because I know nothing about stocks. I don't invest, I don't have the money to invest, and I wouldn't know what to invest in. And I certainly wouldn't take advice from some unknown stock dealer on the Internet. And I advise you to do the same. So as a public service, I now present on the Internet an unknown stock person who has been just introduced to me. And he says that he's got a flawless way to make money oh, yeah. uh, through investments. Uh-huh. So please welcome Mr. Diamond Hood Miller. Hey, how you doing, Mr. Baller? Thank you very much for having mm-hmm. me on your show here. you got a nice place oh, here. Thank you, thank you. So what are the basic things we need to know to make money through investments? Well, I will give you a demonstration at this point. Uh, if you got any money, money? You know, in your pocket, just some okay. cash, okay. you know, just some money. Yeah. I've got some money here I've been saving up for my wife's birthday present. Uh, $137. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. What, $137? Okay, you have given me this money, this $137, right? Right. Okay, well, my value... My portfolio value has just gone up by $137. You see, um, I have $137 yeah. in liquid assets um, now that I didn't have five minutes ago. Well, you see, but that's that's my money. That's that's my money. That's not your money. See, I need mm-hmm. $137 for my wife's birthday present. Oh, you see, if you need some money for your wife's birthday, yeah. I can now put my funds to use huh? by lending this money to you no. with interest so that no. the principal goes out and uh, we'll uh, come back eventually very, very soon no, you see, with a certain amount of uh, interest that is paid upon that principal amount, uh, which uh, you will also give to me wait, within 24 hours. But, but you see, that was that was my money. I, I, I gave it to you. And I keep that money working for the economy by lending it to you but, for one day, 24 hours um, at 116% interest. Yes, but you see that... A hundred sixteen percent interest. That is based on the prime rate as set by the national uh, federal government. That, 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 that's absurd. That's nothing like the prime lending rate. I can't. I can't pay that kind of money back in one day. Then we come to another part of the entire fiduciary system, and that is the collection portion. Collection. I have a collection agent. Hey, Lloyd, come here. 
Oh my. This is Louis. Uh. He's going to make sure that you pay it back <laughs> on time and with the right amount. Hi, Louis. Uh, listen, um, could we get away from the whole lending portion of the economic thing and let's talk about some other ways uh, to make money? Sure. Legitimately? Oh, yeah. Possibly? Sure, no problem. Uh, of course, there's always the insurance business. I happen to be a licensed and bonded insurance salesman, uh -huh. and I can sell you the kind of insurance that you need. Well, I'm actually uh, full up on insurance. I've got all the kinds of insurance that Gee, I... Gee, this is a real nice place you got here. Sure hate to see anything bad happen to him. <laughs> Something bad. <laughs> we'll be back after this. People just like you talk about their skin irritation. I have this skin rash. It really gets bad when it gets hot and my shorts ride up. It's a real bad itching, burning sensation. Uh, right where you don't want a real bad itching, burning sensation. I was going to my afternoon tea when this terrible itch started up. It was like there were fire ants in my bloomers. It started between my toes and it worked its way up to my knees. And before I knew it, my stomach was red, my chest was red, <laughs> even my neck was red. Man, that itch. That terrible itch. Itching, burning sensation. You may think there's nothing you can do about it. That's where you're wrong. Purple Planet introduces this three-volume audio cassette collection of people talking about their own terrible itching, burning sensations. Once you listen to them talk, you'll realize you're not so bad off after all. Ninety percent of my skin turned bright red, then flaked off. Felt like the Dallas cheerleaders were going all over my body with belt sanders. Feel better? Purple Planet Terrible Itching Burning Complainers, wherever fine recordings are sold. Also available in Disco Mix. Is it out? Is it out? Okay. Oh, wait. We're back on. We're back on. Oh, hi, everybody. We had this mysterious fire uh, break out here in the outer office. Uh, Mrs. Schmackelheimer is uh, taking care of it, I think. Uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of strange. Uh, just suddenly it burst into flame. I, I, I don't know why. Uh, I saw our previous guest outside a few minutes before that holding a bottle with a rag and i don't know if that had anything to do with it but uh, uh wait just a second well, what's what's this mrs schmeckelheimer uh mrs schmeckelheimer just handed me a note oh apparently that was delivered from the stock tip insurance salesman gangster goon that was here earlier uh with a thread on it it says if you don't pay up there will be a drive-by shooting I don't care what he does. I'm not going to give in to extortion. I'm just not going to do it. I, I, wait, what's that out the window? Coming this way! Everybody done! Boy, the high price of gas is hitting everybody these days. Let's take a short break and uh, listen to the latest episode of Mr. Wizard. Well, hello, Billy. It's good to see you again. Hello, Mr. Wizard. Billy, you may wonder what we're doing out at this wooden swinging bridge over that river, way down in that ravine. Well, I kind of... Have you ever wondered what keeps a bridge up? Polygrip? <laughs> Science is a serious business, Billy. I'm sorry. I... Bridges stay up because they have supports at key stress areas. Ooh. Take this bridge. Okay. It's designed to withstand up to 600 pounds. Wow. Walk across it, Billy. Okay. Notice how the bridge hardly moves under Billy's 100-pound frame. I made it. Now, Billy, uh, pick up that anvil and cross back again. 
Ah, notice how the bridge begins to sag a bit as Billy crosses, because he and the anvil together weigh close to 300 pounds. Now, Billy, uh, pick up that elephant and cross again. What? Up, Simba. Whoa, wait a minute. Good boy. Good, good, good. Okay, now sit on Billy's back. Fine. Okay, cross the bridge, Billy. Ah, see that? With over 2,000 pounds at the stress points, the bridge is showing definite signs of... Well, 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 well. The stress point gave way. That goes to show that you should always take maximum bridge limits seriously, because science is a serious business. This is Mr. Wizard saying, we'll have more fun with science tomorrow, kids. <laughs> Bye-bye. And it's time for our next guest. Johnny, who have we got? Our next guest on Bells in the Battery is Mr. Osgood Knight. He's a man who repairs and services heating systems for homes and businesses. Hi, 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 hi. hi there, good uh, to Mr. see you. Oh, yes, it's really good to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I used to be a pilot. Uh, that's where I got the name of my place. Uh, I was famous for uh, flybys. You uh -huh. know, people would be on the street and I'd meow, fly by. Oh, like everybody said, hey, there goes old flyby. So uh, that's that's where I got the name of my business. Uh, so if you need somebody, just call Flyby Night Heating and Air. Fly by night. Fly by night. <laughs> well, what tips can you give us about heating systems? Uh, well, what we need to do is, uh, I know you haven't turned on the heater here in the studio. No, no we haven't had the opportunity. Building things stay pretty warm all the time anyway, yeah. but uh, it's getting kind of nippy. So uh, why don't we just try turning on this heater now, and I'll kind of oh. give you an idea of what all you right. should look for while we uh, turn on the heater okay. here. Okay, uh, turn it on. It's on! Alright, now, now you see that, that sound there. That's uh, generally not a good sign. That means that your motor mount has come loose here. The uh, motor itself is uh, off its bearings or... Uh, or there's a technical term. It's just all mucked up. Uh, that's the basic term there. Uh, there's something wrong with the motor. Oh, my gosh. Look what's coming out of those vents. Oh. Yeah, there's usually a bunch of roaches and mice that's oh, running they're out of your vents. Hundreds. Right the here. Oh, I'm <laughs> that's sorry. pretty normal. They're uh, all over the place. Yeah. Oh. But I don't know about them chickens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the dogs and the mother cows. Get those things out of here. Uh, you got to uh, clean that out every once in a while. Get these out of here, please. Shoot, shoot. Now that burning smell you get when you first turn on your heater and season, that's uh, that's pretty normal there. Oh, good. There's dust in there, and that dust yeah. gets real hot, and that's what makes that smell. So well, that's perfectly normal. Oh, my. Now that fire shooting out of the vent oh. there is not normal. That's, uh, you, you don't usually get that. No. Say, uh, you know, seven out of ten cases, uh, that's a pretty unusual thing to have fire shooting out, especially that far. Really? I'd say, you know, four to five feet like that. Ooh, man, that's pretty good. That's Ooh. like a new record. Though. That's uh, that's quite impressive, actually. Uh, what about now? Now, now sparks. Uh, <laughs> it could mean some sort of electrical short. Uh, in fact, it, uh, the way it's spraying those sparks all over the place. Whoa! Yeah, that's oh. Okay. Uh, that, that's an electrical problem. Uh, I need to fix that. So the best way in this kind of case where you really need to replace everything uh -huh. is to uh, purge the system of everything that's purge. bad. And that's yeah. simply done by tossing in this here stick of dynamite. Stick of uh, dynamite. Might, might no, stand back no, don't want to fire the hole. No. no. That's <laughs> oh, 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 those smokies. That's all right. Well, we blew the windows out. That'll blow that out. That's oh. okay. Fine. Now, what you need to do is replace this antiquated, old-fashioned uh, heater here uh -huh. with one of our brand-new nuclear heat pumps. Nuclear? I just happen to have one. Roscoe, bring that in here. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Just, just put it over there in the corner. Okay. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? I don't hear it running, but it's getting warm in here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how that thing works. Yeah. Uh, look, I really got to go now. Uh, uh, I'll it, see you later. Should it be glowing like this? Or should it be glowing like this? Should it be...
I feel all tingly. Uh, we'll be back after this. There is a new SUV that's unlike any other. It's big because you want big, but you also don't want to worry about lousy gas mileage. And with the new Skeeter SUV, that worry is a thing of the past. Thanks to new hybrid technology, you can get more miles per gallon in your big Skeeter SUV. How does it work? Easy. As you approach a wimpy little car from the rear and start to climb over it with a Skeeter's patented action track suspension, a special metal tube projects from the Skeeter, piercing the gas tank of the car and sucking out all the gas therein. It only takes a few seconds, then you can roll right over that car and leave its empty husk behind, as nature intended. Yes, the new Skeeter is a hybrid of SUV technology and classic mosquito design. The Skeeter is definitely an itch you can scratch. Get over to your Skeeter dealer today, but hurry, get there before you see a Skeeter in your rearview mirror. Okay, let's see if I can get some semblance of normalcy back into this podcast. I- hey, Mr. Bell! Well, there goes the chance for normalcy. Uh, Hello, Arnie. Hi, hi, this is Joe. And this is Arnie Kunchpart, our resident scientist and inventor. Arnie, what's going on? Well, I was listening in earlier, Mr. Bell, and I think I know how I can take care of your dilemma. My what? Your dilemma. My dilemma? Yeah, your dilemma. Just say problem. Your problem. Say dilemma. Okay, dilemma. Anyway, I have an invention that might help. Oh, boy, what is it? It's a shrink ray. A shrink ray? Yeah, a shrink ray. See this device here? Uh-huh. When I point it at somebody, it'll shrink. Them down to the size of a hamster. Oh, so when Mr. Miller comes in and tries to extort money from me, you hit him with a shrink ray. Yeah, and he shrinks down to itty bitty size. We drop a trash can on him, and all our problems are solved. Now, now, you're sure this thing works? You've tested it, right? Oh, yes, it works perfectly. Okay, then all we need to do is wait, wait, listen, listen. See, Mr. Bell. He's out in the lobby. He's going to be coming in here in just a few seconds. Hide over there in the corner. Yeah. And as we're talking, yeah. hit him with a shrink ray. Oh, this is so exciting. Oh, yeah. no, Get over there. Oh, this is coming out of the quiet. Quiet. Okay, okay. Here he comes. Shh. Hello there, Mr. Bell. I thought I'd drop by again and see if you've uh, given consideration to my previous proposition. Yeah, well, I've given it some thought, and I think it was awful big of you to come back. Uh-huh. That's so funny. And let me tell you. Uh-huh. You're going to get what's coming to you. That's what I want. What's coming to oh, me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to get yours any second now. Well, good. Let me have it. Yeah. You think you're a big man now, but you're going to be pretty small in just a second or two. Well, let me have it. Yeah. You're going to get what's coming to you, like, right now. Come on. Right now. Right. What the hey? Uh... What is that, a hamster running around? No. I don't like hamsters. No, no, don't shoot at the hamster! Don't shoot at the hamster! Get out of here! All right, I'm leaving. But don't be surprised if something important seems to be missing. (laughs) So long, sucker. Yes, I was holding it backwards in all the excitement. I, I got, whoa, oh, 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 you're picking me up. This is nice. Uh, where are you taking me? Where are you taking Over there. No, don't drop me in there. Ah! All right, things are getting a little out of control here. I need to get back to Earth. Let me talk to my secretary, Miss Schmackelheimer. Miss Schmackelheimer. Miss Schmackelheimer. Hello? Mr. Bell, this is Miss Schmackelheimer. Well, hello. I was worried about you. Yes, yes, I know who you are. Where are you? I don't know. I have a sack over my head. Fashion statement? Burlap. My kidnappers put it there. You've been kidnapped? That's what they tell me, yes. Well, what exactly did they tell you? They said, please put this burlap bag over your head so we can kidnap you. I guess that's a kidnapping. They're holding me for ransom. 
Oh, how much? I don't know. You don't know? No. They wrote me a short note to read to you over the phone uh-huh. that has the ransom amount on it. Okay, then read me the note. I can't. Why not? I've got a burlap bag over my oh, head, yeah, remember? But, yeah. All I see is burlap. Ask the kidnappers if you can take the bag off your head to read me the note, please. Yes, Miss Schmackelheimer. I need to put the phone down for a minute while I take the bag off my head. And yes, then... yes, yes, yes. I heard the plan. Just, just hurry up, please. Okay, the bag's off my head. My eyes are closed. Where are you, Mr. Kidnapper? Right here, Miss Schmackelheimer. I've got the bag. Let me put it on my head here. Tell me when it's on so I can open my eyes and okay. read the note. It's on. It's on. Read the note. Let me read it silently to myself first. Why? I don't want to read it cold. I'll sound like a fool. Stumbling all over the words. Let me get a feel for the note. Then I'll read it out loud. Yeah, yeah, please? Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. Just all right. Just just read it to yourself, then, then, then read it out loud. Come on, ladies. Not that long a note. Look, just, just read the darn thing, huh? Miss Schmackelheimer. Miss Schmackelheimer? Don't make me take this bag off my head. Okay, that's it. I'm taking the bag off my head and... Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? What's going on? Uh, if you don't pay us $50,000, you won't see her alive again. Put the money in a green hefty bag. Miss Smackleheimer, you got away? The big dumb ox had a burlap bag over his head. Oh, well, uh, can you please bring me today's mail? Certainly, Mr. Bell. And check on my guest interview schedule? Right away, Mr. Bell. You will never see Mrs. Hackens... Well, that's it. The end of episode three of Bells in the Bat Free. Thank you for joining me here in the Bat Free, and we'll be back again next week. If you have any comments, please, I do beg for comments, write to me at profzounds at hotmail.com. That's P-R-O-F, as in professor, Z-O-U-N-D-S, like sounds with a Z, at hotmail.com. Bells in the Baffy was written and performed by John Bell, so I'm solely responsible for its content, which is a very sad thing to have to admit. Special guest voice this week, Cynthia Taylor. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Is this a good voice? Is this okay? Are you sure? All right. I okay. Are you you're positive this is a good voice? Okay. Yeah. Be seated, gentlemen. I would be proud to lead you 
in avoiding the following program. Bells in the Battery, episode one, two, three, four. Hi there, and welcome to episode four of Bells in the Battery. I'm John Bell, your genial host. We have a lot going on in the show right now, and I think we need a recap. So, Johnny, will you do the honors, please? In our last very exciting episode, hordes of giant armadillos from Venus what? arrive in their peanut cave flying saucers, laying waste to half the country. Instantly, John Bell, the Bells in the Battery, his entire cast, now, took arms against these armadillos wait. and fought them wait, back wait, to... Wait, 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 wait. Nothing like that happened in the last episode? Unfortunately, you're correct. I'm improving on the last episode. No, it doesn't need improving. It's exciting enough the way it happened. Just express that. All right, all right. Last time, as you recall, in the last episode, a gangster came by and extorted money, demanded money in a protection racket, kidnapped a member of the cast, and all that sort of stuff. It was, you know, that kind of thing. You know, you may have a point there. It's not as exciting as I thought it was. No, 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 no. We we can't do the made-up stuff. We have to continue on with what really happened. Okay. So, uh, the gangster is still at large, and he's still trying to extort money and, uh, cause accidents, and this we pay him a certain amount, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you, Johnny. That was very, um, adequate for what we needed here. Thank, thank you very much. Well, that's the plot, such as it is from last time. We had this, uh, extortionist, Diamond Hood Miller, this crook, who's uh, forcing us to pay him protection money. Otherwise, he's going to cause havoc, destruction, and kidnapping. And we're trying to think of a way to get rid of him, to foil him. And what we need now is a good voice of reason. Or Arnie Cunchpart. Hi, Arnie. What's new with you? Nothing much. I came to show you my new... Wait a minute. Weren't you the size of a hamster? Oh, yeah, but that was last week. Yeah, your shrink ray shrunk oh, you yeah, down. Oh, that was last episode. You know, when you have different episodes... But just... how did you get back to normal? I'm just back to normal. Just accept it, okay? Okay. That's how this thing kind of works. All right, just tell me about your new invention. Then. I have envisioned a time machine. A time machine? We can go into the future and see all the no, marvels no, 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 that no, will you be... You can't use a time machine to go into the future, see, huh? because we're already traveling into the future. Who's traveling? Traveling into the future. Yes, all of us. We're all traveling into the future. What? My like, for instance, in five seconds, I'll say the word wooga wooga. So that event is still in the future. Wooga wooga. Now it's now. And now it's in the past. Uh-huh. We passed it like passing a train station uh-huh. at full speed. Chugga, 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 chugga. Fine, Woo-woo. fine, 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 fine. In that case, we'll go into the past yes. and see the monumental moments in history no. as... You can't do that, I'm afraid, because the time machine only works... 30 seconds at a time. Works what? 30 seconds at a time. What? I can only go back 30 seconds. Only 30 seconds? Only what use is that? Can you go back 30 seconds with our time machine? No. I shall demonstrate it to you. Okay. That is my time machine right over there. Look what looks like a phone booth. You see that right over there? Yeah, I see it right now, there. In 60 seconds, I will give you a time machine, and I will go back 30 seconds. That means 30 seconds from when I said I would go ahead 60 seconds, I should appear from 60 seconds into the future. So you're telling me that you're going to go into the time machine, go back 30 seconds, and appear here with your present self before you go back 30 seconds? Exactly. And this will all happen in about 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 6, 7, 7, right. 6, 5, 4, 3, Oh, say it. Two. Don't spray it. Hi, everybody. Oh, it's me my. from 30 seconds. 
I think in the future. Now it's me from Future Arnie, uh, present Arnie, are you guys okay? Yes, Mr. Bell, but he's got the time machine. He broke it. I, I can see that, but certainly you can fix it, can't you? Mr. Bell, you don't understand the ramifications of what's happening here. If the time machine's broken, I can't get into it and go 30 seconds into the past. Which means that I shouldn't have gotten here at all. How am I existing? What's going on? So you're saying one of you shouldn't even exist right now? Yes, he says he should exist. What? No, you should be the one not existing. No, no, because according to Einstein, you see, no, the future well, well, comes guys, into the past. The guys, past whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold it. This is getting just a little too existential for me. It is kind of Calvin and Hobbes, isn't it? Look, when science takes a wrong turn, the only thing you can do is... Listen to the latest episode of Mr. Wizard! Good morning, Billy. Hello, Mr. Wizard. Are you ready to explore another fascinating aspect of science today? No. Good. Let's get started. Okay. Billy, what do you think of when I say Einstein? That's German for one mug of beer. Don't embarrass me, Billy. I'm sorry. Albert Einstein came up with the theory of relativity. Oh, yeah. Everything is relative. Uh -huh. Understand? Sure. Of course you don't understand, oh. but I'll try to explain it in a way your small mind can comprehend. What? Our concept of time can alter depending on how we use it. Uh -huh. uh, for instance, take this ice cream cone. Oh, boy. You have ten seconds to eat oh. it. Mm. 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 Five. That's good. That's really... Um, nine. Um, ten. Um, time's up, Billy. Hey, that was hardly any time at all. That's right, Billy. When you're doing something you enjoy, time passes quickly. Oh, yeah. Now, let's see how fast the next... <laughs> Next 10 seconds seems to pass. Okay. But first, let me introduce our special guest, Slugger Magoon. Wow, a professional Yo. boxer, and he's Hello, wearing his gloves yes, and everything. Yes, 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 yes. Mr. Magoon, Hello. if you'll begin. Begin? Okay. Begin what? Mr. Wizard, he's coming over his One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, Ten. <laughs> well, Billy, I'm sure you noticed that the ten seconds with the boxer seemed like a much longer span of time than the ten seconds with the ice cream. That's relativity. Next week, we'll experiment with our friend, Mr. Radioactivity. Until then, bye-bye. Did I finish his ice cream? And now, with views on the news and movie reviews, here's Siloquy! Hi, guy, this is Siloquy being dragged, kicked, and screaming into the 21st century. I just bought my first iPod, yes, my very first. I wanted to hear all the podcasts one can hear, and the only way to do that is to listen to instructional podcasts, like typical PC user, who tells you how to listen to podcasts on your iPod, which doesn't help much if you don't yet have an iPod to listen to the instructions on. So I got an iPod, and now I can listen to podcasts, even the total waste of time and bandwidth podcasts, like Bell's in the bad free. So far, I'm loving the iPod except for one tiny but major problem. The iPod came with two fuzzy little things that fit over the earbuds so they won't blister the inside 
side of your ears. They even came with a second spare pair of fuzzy covers, which means I could listen to my iPod for almost two days before my ears started blistering because those darn fuzzy covers never lasted me a whole day. The darn things came off in my pocket or on my desk or even worse, in my ears. Is there anybody who has had an iPod for more than 48 hours who still has his fuzzy covers on the earbuds? I even tried putting a drop of super glue under the fuzzies to keep them on, and I couldn't take the darn earbuds out of my ears for three days and two gallons of boiling hot water. What is this? Cutting-edge technology, and they can't keep the fuzzy things on the earbuds? So watch for me. I'm the guy listening to podcasts with blistered ears. And speaking of funny-looking ears, I just purchased my DVD of Batman Begins, which almost makes up for the travesty that was Batman and Robin. This new Batman is unique in that it actually takes characters out of the comic book and puts them into the movie. Cripes, Commissioner Gordon finally looks like Commissioner Gordon instead of a walrus with orthodontia. Batman is back to being dark and brooding like he belongs instead of some ballet dancer ice skating around in a suit with rubber nipples who came up with that idea for crying out loud. The Batmobile is a really cool car. I'd like to see go up behind some moron holding up traffic in the left lane. Crunch, blam, thank you, ma'am. The movie's so good that even my wife likes it and she has had very particular taste starting the day after she married me. I'm Cy Lilliquy, that's my two cents worth and someone owes me change. And we're back at Bells in the Bat Free. I'm a little concerned about Arnie Cunchpart and this future self. There are two of him running around now. He's trying to figure out the best way to solve it. He's in his lab. Let me check on him. Arnie, everything okay in there? Yeah, I think I got to figure it out. Give me about a minute and everything to be just fine. Okay, tell you what. Um, I'm going to run a commercial, and I'll come back and check on you after the commercial, okay? Okay. Okay. We'll be back after this. It's the storm nobody expected. It's the storm nobody thought possible. Category 8. Squared. It's the end of the world. So strong, they'll even feel it on Mars. Category 8. Squared. Tonight on NBS. Then tomorrow night at 8, it's fun for the entire family on Susie and her friends. Laughs ensue when Dad finds out to his dismay that Susie and her friends are skinny dipping in the backyard for a wet cast. And the hilarity continues when Susie's brother, dressed as a shark, causes all the girls to jump out of the water in front of the TV news crew. That's Susie and her friends. Two-time winner of the Wholesome Family TV Award. Remember, it's Sweeps Week, so anything goes on NBS. Okay, Arnie said to check back with him after a minute, and the commercial was a minute, so uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, Arnie, if you got this all figured out... I'm still working on it. Okay, there's an image I want to get out of my mind as soon as I possibly can. I think I'll try to get this whole Diamond Hood Miller thing done with. It's time I went to a professional. I'm going to see... A detective. It was a typical rainy afternoon in the big city. And I was opening and discarding my typical pile of overdue bills while listening to the typical PC user podcast. The door opened and in came an odd-looking duck. I chased the duck out of the office and ran into a strange man in the hallway. Are you Ace Detective Buckshot? He was an inquisitive type, asking the sort of questions your wife might ask when you stagger into the bedroom at 3 a.m. What? He was short, shaggy, and wore a suit that a Bowery bum would give back to goodwill. What's wrong with my suit? It's, it's... I motioned him into the office. Okay. He sat in the chair I have reserved for suckers and clients. What? Especially those that fit both descriptions. Uh, While I settled in my ancient leather chair that had long ago contoured itself perfectly to my posterior. Why do you keep talking to yourself He like... was sharp, this one. Huh? I knew that I should never turn my back on him. 
Or he may give me an early Christmas present of a set of Jinsu knives right between the shoulder oh, blades. Crap. I asked him his name. Go ahead, ask. What's your name? My name's John Bell. He gave me a name that sounded phonier than a Nigerian widow's promise of an easy fortune. What? I may have blow pop tattooed on my forehead, but I'm no sucker. Oy. Although it does get uncomfortable with a stick up my... Look, if you're going to do a running soliloquy, I'll just go next door and Hold find some... Hold it, pal. No rush. I'll be glad to help you. Spill the caper. What? Give me the bird's eye lowdown. Huh? The skinny. The veal Alfredo. You made that last one up. No, I'm just hungry. Huh? What brings you here besides that 12-year-old Geo Metro that's bringing down the property value of my parking lot? I told him about how Diamond Hood Miller was pulling the old protection racket. How I had to cough up the do-re-me or I might be R.I.P. E.D.Q. Hold it, hold it, hold it. I'm the one who does the narrating around here. Just give it to me plain. Plain? Yeah. Give it to me... Dragnet style. Dragnet style? That's what I said. This Miller guy wants money. That's a fact. Kidnapped my secretary. Shot at my office. Yes, sir. Darn shame. How's that, sir? Really like that office. 6.32 p.m. I checked with the DMV to get a 1020 in our MIA SOB. We got lucky. He's living in a penthouse apartment not two blocks from here. Let's roll. 9.55 p.m. After a quick stop for dinner and a movie, we found ourselves standing at Miller's door. I'll ring the bell. You ring the bell, but be careful. Why? Looks like an ordinary bell. There are bells, and there are bells. How's that? Could be a buzzer. Hadn't thought of that. Only one way to find out. How's that? Push the button. Yeah, what do you want? New Diamond Hood Miller. Yeah, who's asking? Private detective. Name's Shot. Buckshot. This is my partner, Bell. You sure it ain't buzzer? It's Bell. Is this the Bell guy? What? Is this the guy, Bell? That's him. I'm him. You're him. He's you. I'm he. Yes, sirree. You're under arrest. And that's how this case was solved. Good old detective work. Sometimes you just gotta hit the streets. Pound the pavement. Wear off some shoe leather. Hey, is he going to take me in and talk us to them? This could go on for hours. So, uh, you want to go get some coffee? Sure. My tree. Sure is. I snagged your wallet ten minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Put some miles on the internal odometer. Ask for a little traveling music. We, the giant armadillos from Venus, have taken over the Bells in the Belfry podcast. Today, Bells in the Belfry, tomorrow, the world. Ha, 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 ha. Get down on your knees before your superior beings, for we will conquer it. Get him, guys. Come on, take them. Stupid giant armadillos. Okay, well, all my army guys are... Time travelers are taking care of the giant armadillos. Let me mention this has been Bells in the Bathroom episode 4. It's all written and performed by John Bell. And copyright 2005 by the same. If you have any comments about this show or suggestions, please write to Prof Sounds. That's P-R-O-F-Z as in zebra. O-U-N-D-S at Hotmail.com. We're all down to hear from you. I'll be here next week for more exciting adventures with John Bell and all 1,000 of our Sony Kinks parts. So long! Bye, everybody! Bye! And watch out for those giant armadillos! Sound funny. Do you have a great idea for a product or service but don't know where to start? 
Are you looking to grow your current business? Women's Initiative in San Francisco began its business management training program for low-income, high-potential women in 1988. To attend a free orientation on how you can achieve your dream of starting your own business, or for more information, please contact Sofia Campos at 415-641-3465. That's 415-641-3465. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack. Justice. People get some pretty strange ideas about just what a private detective does. On the deliberately rare occasion that I meet someone new, their eyes light up with visions of murder and mayhem dancing in their heads. It never seems to occur to them that murder and mayhem is generally what the public detectives are for, and those boys tend to get a little touchy if you try and help. A fellow could get his nose broken that way. Again. Generally, for a PI to get involved in a murder case, one of three things has to happen. His client gets murdered, his client murders someone, or someone, client or otherwise, murders him. The last option is the least popular and one I've been able to avoid thus far, which is why it was strange on this particular day, when I had nothing planned but staring at the door reading my own name backwards over and over again, to hear this request. Mr. Justice, I want you to solve the murder of Theodore Crandall. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Our prospective client was an impressive side of beef. His size he was born with, and there wasn't much more to say about it than that. His build and general deportment suggested he worked for a living. Real work. Not the kind most folks do these days. His press suit and clean hands suggested that whatever it was he used to do, he'd been good enough at it that he didn't have to do it much anymore. He was polite, but he didn't mince words. He looked you in the eyes when he spoke to you. Not handsome, not ugly. A man, taken for all in all, as they say. He opened the door, nodded at me, walked to the middle of the room, and made his rather unique request as if it were the sort of thing we did each and every day. Jack and I exchanged a look. We hated to dispel his illusions. A case was a case. Well, that's very interesting, Mr... Arbor. Leon Arbor. This is my partner, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. Glad to know you. Truth of the matter is, we've been run off our feet lately. I haven't seen the paper in days. I'm afraid I'm not familiar with the Crandall murder. Trix? Theodore Crandall? Why, Jack, that was five years ago, wasn't it, Mr. Arbor? More like seven, young lady. But you're right. A seven-year-old murder? What makes you think we can do what John Law can't? The police? Well, I'm sure they tried, but I'm just as sure they aren't trying anymore. There's a reason for that, you know. Memories fade. Witnesses forget, move, die, you name it. They call them cold cases for a reason. If you're not interested... Interested. Brother, I haven't been this interested in anything for weeks. Then why? We just want you to have an idea of what we're up against, Mr. Arbor. Why don't you tell us everything you know, and we'll know better if it's worth your trouble and expense. In this matter, Miss Dixon... Uh, forgive me, Trixie. Uh, there's no trouble too great, and I will spare no expense. Why? What was Theodore Crandall to you? Crandall? Nothing. Never met the man. Trixie? Yeah, Jack? Take the phone off the hook, would you? You have our complete attention, Mr. Arbor. Well, sir, I'm a simple sort of man. 
I'm not one normally for speeches. I'm in construction, worked my way up over the years, and in the last ten years I've owned my own company. We're not the biggest in town, but we get the job done, and that still counts for something in this world. Yes, sir. It's not easy work, but it's something I've always enjoyed, even through the hard years. I guess I figured I had everything I needed, till I met her. Her? Helen. She'd been through so much, and I... Well, you just have to look at me to know I've never been much for courting the ladies. It took a little time, but, well, I'd do anything in this world for her, Mr. Justice. You've got to know that. Mr. Arbor. Yeah? You lost me somewhere between the murder investigation and the love story. Jeez, that's right. I'm sorry. It's just, I get so tongue-tied even talking about her. Leon Arbor looked down as he told his story and played with the ends of his fingers like a shy little boy. I've been a detective for too long to take much at face value, but if these big, strong, silent types ever figure out they can make the most jaded heart go pitter-pat with a routine like this, sisters, we are all in trouble. If what he was after was legal, my vote was to take the case. Helen is now my wife, Mr. Justice. But before that, she was Helen Crandall. Crandall? Don't suppose that's a coincidence. No, sir. My wife is Theodore Crandall's widow. I'm afraid I still don't understand. Helen is a wonderful woman. I've tried to make her happy. She says she is, but in my heart I know she's still haunted by what happened to her first husband. Sometimes she seems so far away. Well, when I ask about it, she'll smile and pretend nothing's wrong, but I can tell. And then there are the nightmares. She won't tell me about them, but... Uh, Mr. Justice, Miss Dixon, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for her. I've done all that I can, but the one thing that might give her peace is beyond my power to give. You think if her first husband's murder was solved, that'd do the trick? I think it would help, yes. It's worth my money to find out if it's worth your time. I looked at Trixie and she looked at me. I could see it in her eyes. She was soft for the big lug. His story rang true enough. It wasn't like we were besieged by other offers. I rubbed my chin to give the general impression that I was still thinking about it. I held Mr. Arbor's eyes for half a minute. He met my gaze without a flinch. I looked back to Trixie and shrugged a little. Mr. Arbor, we'll take the case. I appreciate it. But you've got to understand. If the police never made an arrest, it's for a reason. If their investigation hit a wall, the chances are very good that ours will, too. The odds are, at the end of the day, you'll have nothing to show for this but the dead certainty that you tried your best, and so did we. Any detective who'd tell you different is a liar. I appreciate your honesty. When can you start? Right now. I'll draw up a contract. Trixie, you hit the stacks. I'm not sure how Jack used to reconcile being a detective with his loathing of libraries, but I do know since we've partnered up, I never had to fight much to land the bookwork. An awful lot of what a detective does happens in libraries, archives, halls of records, and the like. I loved it. Burrowing through the newspaper files on the Crandall murder, I felt like a treasure hunter. Old Square Jaw could wear out two pairs of shoes and not start out on such solid ground. Theodore Crandall had been found late at night in an alley behind the factory he owned, not 20 feet from his car. The trunk was open. His face was scratched, his knuckles were bruised, and there was a jagged piece of metal, about seven inches long, sticking out of his belly. His watch and wallet had been taken, and the bulls figured that was the motive. They'd had a suspect. A wino they found five days later with several gallons of fine domestic paint thinner where his blood ought to be, and Crandall's half-empty billfold in his pocket. It had taken two days to sober him up and another three to confirm his alibi. But in the end, they had to admit he'd just tripped over the body and reckoned the corpse wouldn't be needing his things. By the time they picked up the trail again, it had gone cold, and it looked like it stayed that way. The case had slowly drifted back from page one and finally disappeared after a two-paragraph mention on page 16, just above the title schedules. 
and that was it. I got a sandwich at a lunch counter and decided to walk back to the office, with a slight detour to the alley where Crandall had died. I wondered what Jack was up to, but I didn't wonder all that hard. Leon Arbor paid for a week up front, all in cash. He was ready to pony up more, but I convinced him to come back in a week to see what we had and if it seemed worthwhile to continue. He signed on the dotted line, shook my hand warmly, and gave me a chuck on the shoulder that would have knocked a smaller man on his back. He even had the good grace to look mildly sheepish at his own enthusiasm. I was starting to think Trixie was right about this guy, and I was sure I didn't want to end up on his bad side. I left a message with Hap Jackson at the M.E.'s office begging for a copy of the coroner's report. I was sure Lady Bookworm would be gone for the rest of the morning and didn't feel much like waiting around, so I rang up Mike Rogers, crime reporter from the Gazette. Mike had been around so long he'd broken this story when Kane killed Abel. I figured he might point me in the right direction, if properly motivated. When you offered to buy me lunch, Jack, I expected a little more than a visit to the hot dog cart out front. Why's that? I happen to know you eat four of these a day. You working for my wife again? No, your cardiologist. <laughs> so, the Crandall murder, huh? Who's the client? Client? So that's what I've been doing wrong all this time. All right, wise guy. What do you need? You must have had a twinkle on this somewhere, Mike. Sure, the cops chased a robbery angle for a few days. Made it look good. Of course, it dead-ended, and a few days later, things just sort of clammed up. Clammed up? Any cop worth a suit can answer all your questions in a way that gives a guy nothing to print. Me? I can smell a cover at 60 paces. My editor? He bores real easy. Almost as easy as the average reader. It's his job. I don't know from why, but they turned off the heat on this one real early. No idea who provided the gag? Nah, just a lot of tap dancing from Sabian. Lieutenant Sabian? He worked the case? He was Sergeant Sabian back then, but sure, he was a lead bull. Whoever scared him off did a heck of a job, though. I figure politics. Politics? Sure. Crandall's business partner, McCready. He's got a lot of dough and the pull that comes with it. I chased it for a while, but couldn't make it stick. Listen, you dig up anything on this, I expect to get it first. Client gets it first, Mike. Then you, then the law. I hope none of you are holding your breath. There's nothing like a murder case to make you paranoid. Mike Rogers had been chasing them for so long he saw conspiracies everywhere. Sabian was a first-class pain in the neck, but he was a good cop. He didn't scare easy, and I didn't believe that seven years had changed him that much. On the way back to the office, I ran into Trixie. She'd been down to the stacks in the scene of the crime. I told her if she showed me hers, I'd show her mine. The problem isn't that he said it. The problem is that he said it like he hadn't said it a hundred times before. Anyway, I ran him over the details as we walked up, and he told me about Mike Rogers' theory. I agreed it sounded thin. I was a lot more interested in the scene of the crime. The alley behind Crandall's factory was narrow. Deliveries only, no parking. The crime was committed in the middle of the night. Why had Crandall been at the factory at all? Why had he parked in the alley instead of the lot across the street? Four hours into the case and we'd found a dozen questions and no answers. Maybe our news hound's nose knows after all. What's that? Try this one on. The partner, McCready, calls Crandall up in the middle of the night. There's big trouble down at the factory. Get down here right away. He tears out, parks in the alley, and bam. The murder weapon was scrap metal, Jack. Something you find, not something you plan a murder around. Unless that was meant to throw the cops off the track. Why throw the cops off the track and fix the case from upstairs at the same time? Better safe than sorry. We're going to need a little more than that. We're going to get it. We'll talk to the partner in the morning. Agreed. In the meantime, I've got a call in for the copy of the coroner's report. Maybe there's something in there we can use. Well, you going to open the office door or just stand there admiring your name and lights? I was just thinking. You locked your keys in the office again, didn't you? Shut up. My hero. Allow me. 
Well, well. Mr. and Mrs. Flatfoot. Out for a stroll? Sabian? Make yourself comfortable, Lieutenant Sabian. Never let a little thing like a locked door stand in the way of our friendship. Don't get wise. What do you want, Sabian? Call off the dogs, Dixon. I just stopped by with a little friendly advice. Last time I got friendly advice from your boys, it came with two broken ribs. Not all cops are thugs, Justice. So they say. Of course, if they said not all rain was wet, I'd still want to see it for myself. Word around the campfire is you're on the Crandall murder. Who told you that? Little bird in the medical examiner's office. I take it you didn't drop by with a copy of the coroner's report. Cute. I won't bother to ask who the client is. Whatever he's paying you, it ain't worth it. Afraid we'll show up the department, Lieutenant? I'd explain it, but you'd never understand. Walk away is all. Thanks for stopping by, Sabian. Have it your way. Some guys you just can't help. You are listening to Blackjack Justice, another fine program from Decoder Ring Theater. Whether you are listening via podcast or through one of our broadcast partners, be sure to stop by our website, www.decoderingtheater.com, for all our latest episodes, information on upcoming shows, and much more. If you enjoy these programs and wish to see them continue, please consider making a small contribution through one of the convenient PayPal links on our homepage. And please do take the time to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, post a link, or take a moment to rate or review our programs through your podcast directory or service. And remember, wherever you may roam, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address for adventure, mystery, and comedy. No detective likes to be told to walk away from a case. The more you try to pull him off it, the more he digs his teeth in. Lieutenant Sabian wasn't exactly on our Christmas card list, but he was too good a detective not to know we wouldn't scare. At least I thought he was. Mike Rogers' theory that the fix was in on the Crandall murder was looking less and less crazy all the time. If something had run Sabian off the case seven years ago, it meant the trail hadn't gone cold after all which meant that happy ending our client, Leon Arbor, was trying to buy for his wife might just be possible. Of course, if this something was big and bad enough to run Sabian up a tree, the ending might not be all that happy for Trixie and me. We could only hope their partner, Mr. McCready, was a little more forthcoming. I don't understand why you're digging around this mess again. Ted Crandall's been dead seven years. Can't you just let him rest? Maybe his rest isn't the issue, Mr. McCready. There's other interested parties. Interested parties. It can't be an insurance angle. Ted didn't carry a policy. His only business relationship was with me, and I didn't hire you. He had no family. He had a wife? Helen didn't hire you. What makes you so sure? I didn't... Look, Helen Crandall has been through enough. Don't dredge this up. You talk to her often? Often enough. Not often enough to know that she's been Helen Arbor for the last four years? She... Does she still own her husband's share of this company? No. No, I bought her out shortly after Ted died. I see. I'm not sure I like what you're implying. Did I imply something, Jack? Helen had no means of support. You can check the records. I paid her twice what Ted's half of the business was worth. Very generous. It was the least I could do. What was your partner doing here in the middle of the night? Ted often worked late. So he'd been here all day? I suppose. Parked in the alley? I couldn't say. Is that what you told the police? You'd have to ask them. We have. They're a little sketchy on details. 
You talked to Sergeant Sabian? You can't remember your statement to the police, but you remember the name of the detective you gave it to? Maybe you should talk to Sergeant Sabian. You use that alley for anything except deliveries? Not that I know of. Any chance we could see a shipping manifest from the day Crandall died? You should really... Look, MacReady, if we promise to talk to Sabian, can we see the manifest? You'll call him? Scout's honor. Fortunately, Jack was never a Boy Scout, so we got what we wanted and hightailed it out of there. I had a feeling that Sabian's phone would be ringing all right, but it'd be MacReady on the other end confirming the lieutenant's suspicions that we hadn't laid off the case. We had to go to ground while we figured out where to go from here. We made camp at the Blue Moon Bar down the street and thrashed things out as best we could. All else fails. Start with the facts. Facts? The facts are the problem. The murder weapon was a found object, says crime of opportunity. But what opportunity? No robbery, at least not till after the fact. The wino. The wino. Maybe we should dig him up? I think we'd have to. He was a transient wino seven years ago. Think he took the cure and made his first million? I think the partner. Why? Why else is he dancing so fast to keep this covered? Why is Sabian? And why did your friend Hap tip him off? I don't know. McCready owns a factory. He's got some pull. He and Crandall meet late at the factory. They argue. McCready grabs a piece of metal and before you know it... All right, don't give me that look. I know how thin it is. What's the motive? Control of the business. Think Crandall would have turned down an offer equal to what McCready gave his widow? The least I could do? Think McCready bribed Sabian to keep it quiet? I think Sabian's too good a cop for that. And if you tell him I said so, I'll clip your beak. Likewise. If it's not the business and it's not a robbery, what about a mob hit? Something to do with the business. That's why McCready won't talk. He's still scared? No. Sabian worked his way up from beat cop busting those rackets. If it was the mob, he'd have hung them from the treetops. Besides, you ever hear of a mob hit with a piece of scrap metal? Scrap metal. What was on that manifest again? Uh, two shipments out, one morning, one afternoon. Three deliveries. The first was 9.30, the last 6.45. So there's no way Crandall's car was there all day. He went there for something. But what? Who found the body? A crew coming in to pick up the trash. City crew? Nah, private outfit. They haul a container of industrial waste out of there once a week, nice and regular. Late at night? How did you... You didn't just look at the relevant page in the manifest, did you? So Crandall could have been coming down for something that was in the container. Something that wasn't supposed to go. And someone stabbed him with his own garbage? Why not? Sure, why not? Who and why? Right. Who and why? Okay. I'm going to hate myself for saying this. Leon Arbor? Loves the other classic motive, isn't it? Relax, Trix. It don't make much sense to hire detectives to catch yourself, but I'm suspicious in nature. You pumped him? While we were dotting the T's on the contract. Didn't take much. Some mutual friends introduced he and Helen two years after the murder. Thank God. We're running in circles here. We can't get any of the original reports or interviews. The partner won't talk to us. We could take Arbor's last dollar and not find the wino. How far can we get without talking to the wife? Nobody talks to the wife. Good afternoon, Lieutenant Sabian. We were just hiding from you. You're doing a pretty lousy job. You're in the bar closest to your office. Give me a little credit. Come to hand out more friendly advice, Sabian? If I thought you were bright enough to take it... Here. That doesn't look like a police file. It's not. It's from my private files, and it's going back there, too. If I can't shake you loose, I may as well let you in the know and hope you've got the sense to see it like I did. Open it. We did. The first thing we found was Sabian's original interview notes. He hadn't been able to talk to the wife right away. The doctor said it was nerves after hearing about her husband's death. He was still chasing the robbery angle, so that was all well and good. Then that fell apart, and he stamped his feet till he got in to see Helen Crandall. It was a week later, and she was made up. But there was no hiding the black eye. 
the split lip. He could see from the way she babied her right arm that it had been recently sprained at the elbow. The kind of sprain you get when someone twists your arm till it almost snaps. She wouldn't speak. Wouldn't look at him. He saw the broken fingernails on her right hand. He didn't have to wonder if they'd match the scratches on her late husband's cheek. He saw the bandages on both wrists. The next thing in the file were copies of Helen Crandall's medical records. The doctor had done for Sabian what Sabian was now doing for us, spelling it all out plain. He treated the Crandalls for years. He treated her broken wrist the year before, her black eyes, the broken nose six months earlier, both concussions, including the one she almost didn't wake up from. He'd saved her from the suicide attempt after the murder. He laid it all out in the open because he knew hiding it had never done any good. Crandall drank, and he got ideas. She took it. She covered for him. Then one night he got it in his head that she'd cheated on him. And he did what any reasonable man in his position would have done. He beat his wife to a pulp, threw her in the trunk of his car, and took her to his factory to kill her and throw her body in a container of scrap due to be picked up that night. Finally, she fought back. I doubt she even knew what was in her hand. If you'd seen her then, I've had a few rotten nights for things that I've done. Walking away from the Crandall murder? It ain't one of them. Who knows about this? Nobody that disagrees with me. Except maybe you two. Give me that file. You can't prove any of this. See you in the funny papers. Sabian. Yeah? Drink? I'm on duty. I'll be... You probably will. The problem now is... What do we tell our client? Well, uh, I know. Hey, people, this is the Flat Black Plastic Show on Uni Radio. FM. Most of this stuff I bought at Community Thrift. Some I just bought within the hour. So, enjoy the journey, but I'm not playing the band journey. Hello. Hello, baby. 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 Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Hello, baby. Want a kiss? 
Hello, baby. Want a kiss? It was late in the night when the squire come home inquiring for his lady. The watchman made a sure reply, she's gone with the gypsy Davy. Rattle to my gypsy, gypsy, rattle to my gypsy Davy. Go catch me up my old grey horse, my old grey horse so speedy. I'll ride all night and I'll ride all day and I'll overtake my lady. I'll rattle to my gypsy, gypsy, rattle to my gypsy Davy. It's he caught up his old grey horse, his old grey horse so speedy. He rode all night and he rode all day and he overtook his lady. Rattle to my gypsy, gypsy, rattle to my gypsy Davy. It's come go back my dearest dear, it's come go back my honey It's come go back my dearest dear, you never shall want for money I Rattle to my gypsy, gypsy, rattle to my gypsy Davy I won't go back my dearest dear, nor won't go back my honey For I wouldn't give a kiss from the gypsy's lips for you and all your money I Rattle to my gypsy, gypsy, rattle to my gypsy Davy it's go pull off those snow white gloves that's made of Spanish leather And give to me your lily white hand and bid farewell forever Rattle to my gypsy, gypsy, rattle to my gypsy Davy It's she pull off them snow white gloves that's made of Spanish leather She give to him her lily white hand and bid farewell forever Rattle to my gypsy, gypsy, rattle to my gypsy Davy